The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning. Welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes of Frank Open Honest Conversation about gambling addiction and addicts like myself. Joining me as always from Epic Risk Management, my friend Dan Trelauer. Danny, good morning. How are you doing today, pal? I'm doing great, Craig. Uh was out in Iowa last week, and uh, it's nice to be back in New Jersey for a few days. You should have made a pit stop and bought my kid lunch, but I'll, uh, I won't hold that against <laughs> you, so all good, all good. And uh, happy to have with us from New York, uh, Janice, who, like myself and Dan, is a gambler in recovery. Janice, good morning, and thank you for joining us today. Good morning. Glad to be here. Great. Well, let me ask, when was your last wager? It was in February of 2011. All right. So you have more than a decade in recovery. Congratulations. That's amazing. Good for you. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, let, let's share your story a little bit. Um, do you remember as a child, as a young adult, teenager, et cetera, when you were first exposed to the world of gambling, whether it was you know, Friday night cards or watching your parents play or some other type of, of gambling? How young were you when you first got exposed to it? Well, my family, we were a family of alcoholism. And so my dad, I can remember him going once or twice to Belmont. I grew up on Long Island and then moved up to Westchester at 15. So he'd go to Belmont. I remember going, maybe I was 17, 18. They took me to Atlantic City once. And I didn't think much of it. Like, this isn't for me. You know, what's the big deal? And that was that. And then I moved up to Westchester at 15. They took me out of high school, moved me, and... What I found was drugs and alcohol. So I'm 40 years clean, sober from wow. drugs and substance. So as a 15-year-old, it sounds to me, and I, by no means am I a psychologist, though, that you dealt with the move by turning to drugs and alcohol as an escape uh, as a teenager, yeah? Right. I learned that that worked for me. You know, I mean, I was 15, and I, you know, to fit in, you know, you find the kids that are doing the things they shouldn't be doing, and that's what I did, you know. But by 25, I got help. I got recovery. I got sober, and I've been sober since. So if so, it's interesting to me. When did you start gambling? So I was older. I'm an older woman, and uh, I didn't start gambling. So I'm clean 12 years, so I was gambling for maybe 10 years. Okay. And my I had gotten divorced. My kids went off to college. And I, I have a career with uh, schools in New York. I'm now retired. As of last year, I retired. Congrats. And I, the kids were for college, and I had time, and I had money because I had that job, and I was working nights waitressing, making good cash money. Right. And all of a sudden, I found myself alone, like lonely, nothing to do. And I started wandering up to Foxwoods and uh, Mohegan Sun, mm-hmm. you know. I would go just, I'd go once in a while with a friend. I'd go for, it was just uh, recreational. I was having a good time. I could win-lose, not a lot of money. And, you know, that's how it started. I was having fun. I'd go up there, and, the, you know, the Navy guys are there, and I'd gamble with, you know, bachelor parties and just had a good time. I felt like I had friends there, and it was fun at first. So I guess my question for you, and it's interesting, is you had conquered the demons that led you to drugs and alcohol use and understood recovery from those addictions. You Did you not see the parallel that gambling might uh, lead you towards, or did you just not care, or did you 
feel like, hey, the drugs and alcohol are such a part of my past and have been so long since I went down that road that I'm just a different person. I'll be able to handle gambling. How did you process that? Exactly. I didn't understand. I didn't make the connection at all. It sort of snuck up on me, that the addiction to gambling. So it started to become a problem. But I never drank at the casino. I wasn't even tempted to drink at a casino. You know, I played blackjack. I played, and the stakes and the consequences got higher and higher and higher. But what I did was, when I started to realize I had a problem, I said, you know what? If I go to more AA meetings, if I do this, if I do that, I get a therapist, then maybe gambling won't be so hard. It won't be a problem. You know, I could do it. I can contain it. It'll be okay. So I did those things. You know, I got a therapist. She sent me to Debitors Anonymous. She didn't know anything about gambling. At this time, I didn't really know anything about gambling. But I knew that I just wanted to be in that casino. I wanted to escape. I wanted to be there. And if I wasn't there, I was thinking about it. How am I going to get more money? How am I going to get there? How am I going to sneak away? So, Dan, let me bring you in on that because it's interesting to me. You know, I drank a lot when I gambled. I got high when I gambled, but I never did those two things out of whatever what you would consider normal behavior from a standpoint of using, you know, those substances. But we have talked to a lot of people where, you know, we would start off with one addiction that led to gambling or vice versa. And I'm trying to figure out, is that the norm or is that the exception where other addictions, whether conquered or not, lead to gambling or gambling leads to other things. Yeah, it's it's more it's not so much the chicken and the egg, but it's just kind of the relationship between the two. We often say that, you know, the connected behaviors, you know, we know roughly sixty percent of people who struggle with a gambling problem might also have an alcohol use problem, mm-hmm. as well as a nicotine dependency, as well as battling some co occurring mental health issues like mood disorder, anxiety, etc. We don't know if that causes the gambling or if the gambling caused those. So it's, it's not so much always looking for that because that is case by case, but just recognizing the, the connection between the two. And, you know, it's interesting. You know, when I gambled, I didn't drink. Like, that's just something I didn't want to do. Like, I was just so laser focused on the gambling. But at the end of the day, we do see addiction switching is a huge concern. You know, some like, vulnerable populations include people in recovery from substance use disorder because they can easily switch addictions to, say, gambling or something else if they're not working on the deeper issue, you know, that that dis-ease, you know, we always talk about like the disease of addiction. But if you break the word disease down into two parts, there's a dis-ease. Something is not at ease within each and every one of us. And if we're not dealing with the deeper stuff, it can come out in so many different ways. And for this one, it switched over to gambling. So give me an idea of when you were playing blackjack up in Connecticut or wherever you were playing. Uh, walk us through what, for you at the time, prior to getting help, what would be a normal week, a normal day for you at a casino? I would get up at 2 or 3 or 4 in the morning and drive up there. Or I would go Saturday night after work. I worked Saturday nights, and I'd go up there. And I'd take cash with me, and I would be, okay, I'm only going to do this. I'm only going to do that. But I thought about it all week, and I'd go right. up Saturday. And Saturday usually ran into Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I could play 72 hours straight, not eat, not drink not do anything. So I was not taking care of myself physically, mentally, spiritually. And I, I, um, I started to do crazier and crazier things to get back up there. And I met a guy at Foxwoods and I was in a toxic relationship for about six years. And, um, and we would go to the casino and I just wanted to escape my life that I was living here. There was nobody here at my home. You know, I didn't pay my bills, my house. I had no oil. 
Eventually, I had no car. I had to borrow a car from somebody, and they said, don't drive it far. And the first thing I did was drive it up two hours to Foxwoods. So it's funny. Like, it's easy to talk about it now with the clarity of being in recovery for you know 12 years, which is amazing you know, place for you to be in life. So I'm very respectful of that. But in the moment, uh, especially having kind of conquered, like I said, the other demons uh, and alcoholism and drug addiction, were there points during you know, the bad days of gambling where you had those self-talks like, man, I've been here before, I've done this before, I know exactly the bad road that I'm going down, or did you not kind of process gambling the same way you did when you decided, you know, earlier in your life to conquer the other two? No, I started to process it. I knew there was such thing as GA. You know, I knew AA, and I knew there was, I heard something about there was GA meeting. And I always thought in the back of my head, well, if this ever gets too bad, if I really can't manage my life, if I can't handle the gambling, eventually someday maybe I will get help. I will go to a GA meeting. And like I said, I did other things because I didn't want to stop. Even when I went to my first meeting, I didn't want to stop. I wanted to control it and make it manageable so that I could continue that because – um, I didn't want the bad stuff, but it was fun. But when right. it stops becoming fun, yeah. and it's not even fun winning anymore, it, it's almost relief in losing because then I don't have to stay there in the casino. I can get out. I can go home. Right. And I think there's um, a lot of commonality in that. It's, there, 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 yeah. there comes a level, I'm speaking for myself, where it, it wasn't so much the way it was at the beginning where I, I needed to and I wanted to and I was driven by winning. It changed for me where I got to a place where I was driven by playing, not by winning or losing, and wins didn't affect me. Losing didn't affect me. The fact that I had to stop playing was what ticked me off. You know, because I just wanted to play. Like you said, you could go 72 hours straight and not eat, drink, shower, or have a conversation with a human being except for the dealer. I, I lived that. I did that for sure because I just wanted to play and play and play and stay in that cocoon where I just felt good and safe and there were no worries outside of, you know, me and the dealer and, you know, six decks of cards more often than not. Yeah. What was? Oh, I, yeah, I love to play the table. I mean, if you came over and talked to me, I wanted to play the table. Don't you know? Don't <laughs> don't talk to me. Don't come over. Can here. I add in? I yeah. want to add in also. There's something that that we just kind of we're bouncing around and talking about, which is important. I think it really highlights the importance of realizing that any addiction of any kind can never be a past tense view. Like we don't ever conquer or beat something. It's it's a daily no. reminder that, and that's what really. The, the, the 12 step rooms and recovery is all about is continuing to work on those character flaws and those character defects and, and improving ourselves. And, you know, the phrase I use with college athletes all the time is being 1% better every day. And you won't see measurable growth. And some days it feels like you're going backwards. But if I start taking the view that I've conquered gambling addiction, I am at risk of going back. And that's the one thing that I, that in my life, and I know many others, like it, it's an active process that has to be almost front of mind or top of mind. To realize, exactly. like, I can't look at this as a past tense thing. Cause I, yeah. could, I could switch addictions. You so, know, John, so let I me ask you this. You're you're in a toxic relationship that's based on, you know, casino playing, gambling. You're not paying your bills. You lose your car. Things are you're spiraling out of control. Most of us have a bottom of the barrel moment, like that come to Jesus moment where they either get arrested, someone calls them out on their nonsense, and then they're confronted with the reality of, you know, how they've been living their lives and the damage they've caused. If you don't mind sharing, before we get to the positive stuff and the good stuff, uh, what for you was that moment when it came to gambling? 
Well, there was a couple of moments, but one of them was I was writing bad checks. I was writing bad checks at the casino. They, this is back before they everything clears in the day. So you could go to Mohegan and write checks for $3,000, and then so 24 hours. So then I would go to the other casino, and I would write $3,000, and then I'd go back to the other one and write $3,000. And so all of a sudden I had thousands and thousands of dollars of checks out that I couldn't cover. Finally, I couldn't cover my debt, and that was scary to me. And the other thing that happened was my sister confronted me, and she was like, if you don't stop this behavior, if you don't stop gambling, I'm going to tell all of your friends, I'm going to your job, I'm telling your boss, I'm telling everybody what's going on, because you need help. And that scared me. So let me ask a question, if you don't mind me asking. I know when you look back at it now, you're grateful that your sister did that. I imagine, though, in the moment, you fought her tooth and nail on it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I was so angry at her, and I was angry at myself. I don't have a problem. I can handle this. But my family, nobody would give me money anymore. They cut me off, and that, that scared me too, you know. Um, the isolation of, of the disease was setting in. And back to what Dan said, you know, I, I just, um, I don't know. I had so many painful feelings. I just... I know I will always be a compulsive gambler. I, right. I will either be in recovery or I will be gambling. And there's no – that's it. That's the choice, either recovery or gambling for the rest of my life. But one day at a time. Only today. Only today will I not gamble. Let me stop you right there. We'll take a very quick break. Continue with Jonathan and Dan. This is Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Happy to have uh, Dan Trelauer from Epic Risk Management, of course, and kind enough to join us uh, from New York is a Janice, a gambler in recovery. Before we get to your recovery and you know the positive aspects of your life, Janice, you, know, you left off by saying that you recognize in yourself that there is no middle ground. Some people claim, hey, listen, you know, maybe there's a day in the future where I can play cards in the basement with my buddies. And it's not a big deal. And I know that there are people that do that. And if that works for them, you know, good for them. Because I do not believe that recovery is one size fits all. I can't do it. I don't do it. Danny can. And you can. But it's interesting that you said that almost defiantly. Like you're at a place now 12 years into your recovery where you know, you feel like you're not going to gamble today. You know you're not going to gamble today, but you're not willing to risk looking at tomorrow, even after 12 years. And I find that really interesting about recovery and addiction. So can you elaborate on it, on that emotional, tangible feeling? Right. So it, when I went into GA, I realized that, it, again, I knew that I could only live one day at a time. I know that. But... You know, if somebody says you can't gamble the rest of your life, I, that I can't live with that thought. I that would lead me probably back to gamble. Hmm. I have to live in the moment. I have to live in the day. I have to use the tools, and I have to keep going every moment and do and start to love myself and accept that I have this disease and that I need to treat it. I can't cure it. I can just treat it. Do you miss gambling? No, I missed the fun in the beginning, when it was fun in the beginning. Yeah. But the act of gambling, the act of, you know, the horrors and the consequences, no. And given the choice today, would I go back? No, it's not worth the consequences. And, yeah, no, you know, I agree with you on that. I guess what I'm asking is, uh, and I've been very open about this, 
You know, there are days I wish I could play cards. You know, I have friends who play cards. And I'm not saying go to a casino necessarily. Uh, but there are days that I just enjoyed playing cards. You know, whether it's with my buddies in you know someone's house, whether it's blackjack, whatever it might be. And while I do not want to go back to that lifestyle, for sure, because ultimately it costs me my freedom and everything else that comes along with that. You know, there are days I'd be lying if I told you I didn't have these dreams or thoughts where... Hey, you know, it'd be fun if I, if I could go to the neighborhood card game that a buddy might invite me to and play and sit there for three hours and win or lose 20 bucks and come home like it's not a problem, but I don't trust myself to do that. But I'd be lying if I told you there weren't days I, I didn't think about it or I didn't miss having the ability to go do that. The first couple of years, I thought that. You know, I just made commitment to myself, 30 days, I won't gamble. And so the first two or three years were really tough. I really yeah. did want to go back and try to figure that someday, some way, something will happen, I could. Today, no. After all these 24 hours, no, absolutely not. And yeah. I think part yeah. of it's being a woman. Like, the, the social part of it, you know, women gamble. Most women gamble as a social. They start as a social thing. You know, they play bingo or they go with their little girlfriends and they do this and they do that. Yeah. And that's how it kind of starts. And so I don't, I don't need that in my life today because my life is so full today. That's what I want to get to. Before I get to that, because that's the amazing part of your story and you know, my story and Dan's story. Dan, I'm going to put you on the spot, and I apologize for doing it. You're right on the same amount of recovery that Janice has in your life, which I've been blessed to be a part of now for the last three or four years. Are there moments when you wish you could safely go play in the neighborhood card game or you know do those types of things or is that not a part of your recovery all these years later um you, you know it's interesting there are certain times of the year where i definitely realize i'm more vulnerable um for me like playing blackjack was fun but i i absolutely could not stand playing blackjack anymore at the end of my gambling right. and I, I don't use this word very often because i don't like the word but i literally hated gambling at the end but i didn't know another way I reluctantly gambled for the last several months playing cards and betting on sports. Now, when the start of the football season starts, um, when it's Super Bowl, when it's March Madness, when there's certain times of year, yeah, yeah it gets hard. And, and Craig, I, I've talked about this before. You know, during COVID, what I realized was that, you know, that was impacting me a little bit. And, and like many people, I actually found myself buying some cryptocurrency. And for a person in recovery from gambling, while that's not technically defined as gambling, I realized that what am I doing? Right. You know, what, why am I buying this trade? What, what kind of emotions am I starting to feel? And that's not healthy. And that's why it's, it's so important that we're so in touch. Janice, I agree with you. If someone would have told me that I'll never be able to gamble again the first day I walked into a GA meeting, I would have turned around and left. Because it's, it's one day at a time, and it's like one moment at a time, and it's exploring your relationship. So, so Craig, no, I don't, I don't miss it. I don't miss the bad times. I really want to remember the bad times. I, yeah. I keep some tokens of that in my possession within view often when I travel especially, so I, I don't make foolish decisions, um, and I don't want to go back down that path because life has been going great, and you know, building back everything that I've built, uh, it's not an uphill straight line. You know, It goes up and down, sure. but I'd never want to go back to that place of darkness at all. No yeah, way. No, I, I trust me. I relate and get that completely. So, Janice, let's talk about the good stuff. You know, you're 12 years in recovery. I, I often, you know, when we do this show, I keep in mind that there are a lot of people listening, whether it's themselves or a loved one or a family member, who are at stage one. You know, the walls are caving in and the world is dark and you don't see an outlet. You can't possibly imagine A, a life without gambling and B, a good life without gambling. So here you are 12 years later 
it sounds like you're doing great. Uh, give us an idea of, of how amazing life is for you and how you found a way to kind of fill the mental space you used to use on gambling and all the worries that came along with it to live an amazing life now. So, yes. I, so I started with GA, and I got a sponsor. I did what they said. And I did the steps and put them in my life. And today I know I'm only responsible for the control. All I can control are my attitudes and my efforts. And I'm responsible for the effort that I put in recovery and the efforts I put into my life. So last year I retired and I now work part-time in addiction, in, in treatment. And sometimes we do some uh, outreach. We've, I've been to colleges in um, Connecticut. I like when Dan talks about that because I've seen and done and heard everything. And nothing surprises me. But I have a great life today, a great life. I love myself. I like myself. I, there are not enough hours in the day. Uh, I have four grandchildren. They're my whole world. My mm. oldest one just joined the Air Force. Second one's looking at colleges. Two little ones are, are great. I have a son and a daughter. They're doing okay. They're doing well. Um, I went back to yoga. I went back to the church. I go to more meetings. I, do, I, go to, I just went to the conference in Washington, D.C., um, I went to the conference over the weekend in Queens, New York, where I, by the way, I met Spike. I had heard her on one of your shows and I, yeah. her and I exchanged numbers. I loved her. We, we just hit it off and I just get involved and I stay involved. And I liked when you talked about the dreams because I, over 12 years, I had two dreams where I woke up, I was in the casino and it was so real. And I woke up and had to question myself, Oh my God, what did I do? What did you do? Cause that's how I used to wake up years ago. Yeah. And I realized in three seconds, I'm safe. I'm home. It was just a dream, and that's enough to scare me sometimes, too. But life is so good. Like, the, the clouds lifted, the sunshine and rainbows come out. Is every day perfect and wonderful? No, but you know what? I have tools, and I have the option to start my day off. If I'm having a bad day or something bad happens or whatever, just start over my day. I have slogans. I have prayers. I have books. I have new friends. You know, I sponsor people. I stay involved. It's my life now. And one of the best parts is that you you reunited with your own kids and made amends for whatever you know crap that you unfortunately put them through. So the fact that your kids are in your life and now your grandkids are in your life because clearly that was a threat that you might not have that relationship. Uh, I'm smiling from ear to ear because it means so much to me from a family standpoint. Before I let you go, uh, you do this now. Obviously, you know, you counsel other people who are you know, much earlier on in their recovery or attempts to recovery for that person listening right now, for that family member, loved one, et cetera, listening right now, if you're in that room and they walk in day one and they can't figure out how to get to where you're at now, what advice do you give them? So we had somebody new, brand new last night. I have two home groups, one in uh, Westchester, New York, and one in Connecticut, Danbury, Connecticut, Bethel now. And we had somebody new last night. We read the 20 questions and, you know, most of the time people come in, it's 20 for 20. My 20 questions were yes, 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 all 20 yeses. Right. And I try to say, this is not a lifetime decision. You just don't have to gamble tonight. And I, you know, we, I give them my phone number. Um, you have to stop, but just enough time to make sure that you don't want to go back. It, the door is going to open, and there's, just get help. Just reach out. Make a phone call to somebody. Call a helpline if you need that help. There's inpatient treatment now. There's meetings everywhere now. There's other pathways. My pathway was GA, but there are other pathways to getting help, to changing your life. You know, most people don't end up in 
in uh, addiction to gambling. They can gamble in the problem world for a long, long time. But has it affected your, what has it affected in your life? Physical, mental, spiritual, financial, are those things okay? Are those things working well for you this way, or do you need to change? For me, it was change or die. Because the last night I gambled, I drove home on 84 in a snowstorm after three days straight gambling. And it's not that I wanted to kill myself, but I didn't want to live. I want to drive into the snowbank and not come out of it ever. I don't want to face the next day. But it doesn't have to be that way. And as women, you know, I see women come in the meeting. Sometimes I'm the only woman in the meeting, or maybe I'm one of two or three. And please, if you're a woman, you hear this, reach out to somebody because the help is there. And your life can be different. You don't have to hide. It's the hidden addiction. You don't have to hide. We're not going to judge you. Come to one GA meeting. You don't like that one? Go to another one. How Stick many with mom- the winners. How many moments did you have like that where, you know, you just wanted to drive off the side of the road type of thing? Was that frequent? Oh, <laughs> towards the end, yeah, it became real frequent. But that night, I really, there was only me in a snowplow. It was like four in the morning, two feet of snow. And I didn't care what the weather was. You know, people will say, oh, I can't get to the meeting. It's raining tonight. Really? I would drive two hours in a snowstorm to get snowstorm to just to gamble. Yeah. You know, we'll have an excuse of anything, but well, you know listen, what? You can go to a meeting. I really appreciate you uh, you uh, being a part of today's show, and you're right. We'll go to all the lengths possible to wager and to gamble, underground games, casino games, wherever it might be. So the excuse we make of, oh, I can't get to a meeting is BS because we did everything possible to get to a casino. We can do everything possible to go get help. John, thank you for sharing your story. I hope more people continue to do it because you help humanize uh, addicts like us. And I think we need to do a lot more of that. And I can't thank you enough for sharing your story today and hope I can one day return the favor, meet you in person, give you a big hug. And congratulations on your 12 years of recovery. It's amazing. And I'm glad you're living an amazing life. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Take care. Be good. Dan, we have about 30 seconds left. Any final thoughts uh, based on what John has had to say? And I thought it ended very powerfully with her acknowledging that her snowplow and a car, and there was no guarantee she was going to make it. You know, it just, it's a constant reminder, Craig, that, you know, there's a, there's a reason why gambling has some of the highest rates of suicide, ideation, attempts, and completion. You know, you just, there's no other way. I mean, it's just this, this cycle that you're, you're living, you're living the definition of insanity every day, and there's no other outlet. And that's what it feels like at times until you ask for help. And um, thankfully, she did. You know, I think it's great when we can highlight and have uh, females who are gamblers uh, yeah. on the show because it impacts everybody young, old, male, female, it doesn't matter, it doesn't discriminate. So, Janice's story is powerful, no doubt. Well, listen, always appreciate your time. I know a lot of New Yorkers right now have finished all their apple picking, getting ready for Jets Giants. On Sunday, Joe Beningo's coming up next. He'll take you through uh, the next few hours here on The Fan. And then Dan and I will be back again next Saturday as we continue. Hello, my name is Craig. Thank you so much for listening here on WFAN.